Cardinal fans, welcome to episode 6.0 of the Pitchers Hit 8th podcast. My name is Nick from PitchersHit8th.com. I am joined once again uh, for, well, it's been more than six consecutive times now, I believe, because we had the the zero point episodes, but uh, uh, Josh is with me again. Josh, how are we doing? Nick, sir, we got the practice out of the way, and uh, I, I think our our three loyal listeners are going to be very, very happy with what we have in store for them. You know, I, if they're not, I'm not really sure I care because <laughs> I'm happy with uh, what we've got in store. I'm really excited about it. Um, Agreed. We have um, on the show for episode 6.0, Dan Schulman. Uh, from ESPN's Sunday Night Baseball. ESPN will have their uh, Traveling Baseball Road Show in St. Louis once again this weekend for the Cards-Cubs series. Uh, They take their Baseball Tonight set and the whole nine yards just like uh, their uh, College Game Day predecessors. Um, They take the whole whole set, they take their whole show to uh, the town where Sunday Night Baseball is going to be. So uh, the Baseball Tonight guys will be in town and then... uh, our guest today, Dan Schulman, uh, will be there to broadcast the game that night. We had a great time talking with Dan um, about uh, the Colby Rasmus trade, obviously. Um, Dan's from Toronto, so uh, some insight there and, and his opinions on the deal. And then we talked to him just about broadcasting baseball and, and what his first year on the Sunday night broadcast has been like with Oral Hershiser and Bobby Valentine and, and uh, just some great stories from him so far. And, and Josh, I really had a blast talking to him and, and hope we can get the chance to do that again sometime oh, soon. a lot of good stuff you guys are in you guys are in for a treat that was uh i can honestly say it was about as much fun as i've had on on the radio here for those of you that are just kind of hoping that the colby rasmus trade would go away um I, I, i'm sorry to say that we'll probably disappoint you there because uh like i said we did talk to dan shulman about that and then uh josh and i kind of gave our two cents on it as well. Um, so we talked about that a bit and, and, and how that's impacted the team and, and may continue to impact the team going forward and, and whether the Cardinals still have anything in store for us before Sunday's trade deadline. Then we flipped the switch for another guest and spoke with Pat Lackey of the Pittsburgh Pirates blog, ygavs.com. Um, we actually talked to Pat a uh, about a week ago before the Cardinals played the Pirates and, and unfortunately um, our crack editing team hasn't been able to uh, to squeeze that into uh, into an episode yet. So we're going to put it all together into this one. Episode 6.0 uh, turned out to be the biggest one yet. And, uh, and Josh, I think we've got some great stuff for the folks to listen to. Um, let's take a break real quick. Um, I, I know we've got you chomping at the bit with that, uh, thrilling introduction. Um, we'll throw on some Stoffma, listen to uh, star off machine, our, our musical guys. And, uh, we'll be back with Dan Schulman from ESPN.
We're joined now on the show by Dan Schulman from ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. Uh, we really appreciate Dan taking the time out of his busy schedule to chat with us. Uh, Dan, just to launch right into it. I know, obviously, you're from uh, Toronto, and there's a big deal that took place yesterday between the Cardinals and Toronto. A lot of varied opinions on who got the better end of the deal. Some folks think that the Cardinals are better short-term, but given up long-term on Colby Rasmus. Uh, how would you evaluate the deal? Uh, I think definitely the Cardinals are better in the short term. I mean, they added a lot of depth to their bullpen, which they needed, and they picked up a starting pitcher in the deal, too, in Edwin Jackson, which they needed as well. So short term, you know, especially because Rasmus had been struggling, I don't think there's any question that for the rest of this year the Cardinals are better. Long term, I don't think there's any question that the Blue Jays are, are better. Um, the, the players they gave up I think are replaceable. I think you can go out and find those kinds of guys on the free agent market. And Colby Rasmus, I don't think, is the kind of guy you can find out there. He's only 24, uh, a ton of potential, five-tool potential. And, you know, as you know well, being from St. Louis, maybe a change of scenery is really going to do him good, given the friction that existed between himself and Tony La Russa. So uh, I, I think it's a deal really that benefits both teams, uh, St. Louis short-term and Toronto long-term. Dan, this is this is Josh from Also Pitchers at 8th. And uh, speaking of Toronto, uh, I know I read some of your comments about the wild card being advanced or however you want to call what Major League Baseball is planning on doing. Does this deal, in your opinion, for Colby Rasmus kind of put Toronto in that next echelon of teams? I think if there is a, an, an extra wild card in each league next year, I think it stands to benefit the Toronto Blue Jays more than any other team in baseball, to be honest with you. Um, they've been a team every year, 81 wins, 84 wins, you know, decent, but not good enough. And when you play in the same division as New York and Boston, it's just tremendously difficult, obviously, to compete. But um, I think with Rasmus coming in, a young player named Brett Laurie, who's going to get called up soon, they've obviously got Bautista, Adam Lynn, the young catcher, J.P. Aaron Sebia. Their entire um, uh, nucleus of position players is under is 30 or under. It's a very young team just heading into its prime. And, and I think, and, you know, I don't work for the team. I'm, I'm objective. I, you know, I don't have any vested interest in the team. But, but I think the, the Toronto Blue Jays, for the first time in a long time, are on the cusp of something good. And I think next year, if the, play, if the playoffs expand, the Blue Jays are in really good shape to be a contender. And I, I think the playoffs will expand, and I think the playoffs should expand. I think one more wild card in each league would be so beneficial to so many teams, create so much more excitement in the playoff races, and really help attendance and interest and everything else. Well, with that with that in mind, uh, I, I guess you know we're mainly NL Central guys, and with Toronto being in the, the massive AL East, with an extra wild card, do you think that actually helps the teams in the NL Central, or do you think that might actually put them at more of a disadvantage? No, I, I think it helps everybody. I, I mean, in the National League as well, you think about the East, because whether it's Phillies and Braves or if the Mets ever start spending their money wisely, which I think they will, you know, they're a big market team as well. Um, you know, the central divisions uh, in both leagues, I think, have a little bit trouble competing because with the exception of the Chicago teams, the, the markets, generally speaking, are a little bit smaller than the New Yorks and the Phillies and the L.A.s and, and so forth. But I, I think this benefits everybody. I mean, right now, in the National League Central, as you well know, realistically, if you want to make the playoffs, you've got to win your division. That's the way it's going to be this year, unless things change. But if you added one more wildcard team, 
all of a sudden, St. Louis and Milwaukee and Pittsburgh, they're not just thinking about the NL Central. They're thinking about chasing down Arizona for the second wild card spot. So I, I think it benefits everybody. I, I really think it would generate a tremendous amount of interest. And imagine the excitement in October if you had either a one-game playoff or a two out of three between the wild card teams before you got to the playoffs. I think it would be great stuff. Oh, Dan, that, and that kind of just plays into our hand here talking about the the weekend series with the Cubs and the Cardinals and the Cubs happen to be one of those teams that for a while there they did spend some money and it kind of looked like they may have been competitive but the Cardinals have kind of surpassed them as I guess the it team of the NL Central and with you going back to St. Louis for the weekend series what what kind of competition are you expecting the Cubs to put up? Well, uh, the Cubs um, have not spent their money very well. I mean, the contracts of Soriano and uh, Zambrano—you know—they've got they got a lot of bad money out there right now. Now they're they're getting out from under some contracts this year, and I think the Cubs are really going to get after it in the off season and try to, you know, try to uh, and load up again for 2012 when you haven't won in more than a century, and and you're in a market the size of Chicago, you're going to go out and spend some money. But uh, I agree with you. You know, the Cardinals have been the dominant team of the National League Central. You know, Cincinnati's had their moments. The Cubs have had their moments. Obviously, Houston has had their moments. But the Cubs, have, uh, the Cardinals, rather, have been the dominant team in the National League Central. And they've been a well-run team, I think. You know, they don't spend $140 million. But whether it was Walt Jockety or now with John Mosellock, obviously Tony LaRusso is the manager, they're a well-run team. And it's a town that players love to play in. It's such a great atmosphere and such a great baseball town that I go into every year, regardless of what the injuries are, the situation is, I go into every year assuming that the Cardinals are going to be contenders. And, um, you know, as for the Cubs, they're, they're kind of playing out the string right now. You hope that some of the younger players like Castro and Barney keep playing with their energy and, and keep playing with some excitement to, you know, generate some enthusiasm for this team going into 2012. Dan, obviously this is your first uh, year in the booth with uh, both Bobby and Oral on Sunday Night Baseball. I know you worked with Oral before on on the ESPN Baseball broadcasts. Um, Number one, it's got to be just awesome working in the booth with those guys. And number two, it's been a pretty eventful first year. The first time you were in St. Louis, uh, it was surrounded by all the tornadoes that had blown through. And I know that uh, the Osama Bin Laden news was broken while you guys were on a broadcast, uh, yeah. how would you sum up your first year so far? Yeah, we've had a 16-inning game as well. It went till I don't know, 1.50 in the morning or something. Oh, wow. like that too, down in uh, <laughs> uh, the Boston-Tampa Bay game. So um, I, I, I've loved the first year. I mean, you know, every year is different. And when you work with uh, a combination of people you haven't worked with before, not just on air, the, the production staff, everybody behind the scenes as well, um, it, it's it's a change, you know. It's just like if you're on the Cardinals and get traded to the Brewers, it's a change. You, you know, you're getting you're starting all over again. So, but I, I've loved it, and and uh, I think we're starting to find our chemistry now, and we're getting a good feel for each other. We've been lucky; we've had some good games and some beautiful ballparks, and uh, I'm I'm excited to do my job. I, I'm I always think I'm the luckiest guy in the world, you know, getting a chance to make a living watching baseball and basketball games. I mean, if you know. You talk about living the dream, and uh, I've really enjoyed it. I love Bobby and Oral. I learn something from them every single week uh, on our conference call, in our meeting, during the game. They're both passionate about baseball. You know, when Bobby gets going about something, you can't turn him off. He gets so excited talking about it, and um, I'm really enjoying every minute of it. 
<laughs> no, that's 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 great, Dan. Uh, that's the, excellent. The, the the article that I read about that Nick and I were talking about before with you know Osama bin Laden that you actually got a a text from from Bobby and it, that what was that situation like? If you could just briefly. Yeah, I should address that. I'm sorry, I didn't address that in the last answer. So yeah, we're doing the game and. Geez, you know, my memory's not what it used to be. I'm trying to figure out where we were. I'm trying to remember what ballpark I was in. Forgive me. But uh, so we're doing the game. Oh, I know where we were in Philadelphia. I'm sorry. We were in Philadelphia. So we're doing the game, and all of a sudden, Bobby, we're on the air. It was bottom of the eighth inning, I think. And Bobby kind of nudged me with his elbow. He sits right beside me, or on the other side, Bobby. He nudged me with his elbow, and he showed me his phone, and there was a text. I don't know who it was from. I can't remember. And it just said, Bin Laden is dead. And I was, you know, stunned, obviously. You know, meanwhile, a pitch is being thrown or the ball's in play or whatever's going on. The game's still going on. So I'm trying to call the game. And I looked at him and he looked at me with that, what do we do? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not trained to be, uh, you know, to be Walter Cronkite. I'm trained to be a baseball announcer. So, um, so I got on TalkBack. You know, you can talk to the people in our producer, executive producer, and, um, and said, do you guys – do you guys have this? And they said, yeah, we got it about 30 seconds ago. We were just trying to figure out how to tell you and when to tell you and what to do about it. Meanwhile, there's two outs in the bottom of the eighth inning. And so call a pitch, get on talk back with them, call a pitch, get on talk back. And they said, listen, at the end of the inning, here's all we know. ABC news is reporting Osama bin Laden has been killed. And they said, just say what you know, don't, don't freelance. And I said, believe me, I'm, I'm, I'm going to play it safe here because I, 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 I don't want to get in too deep. So, so all I said was, you know, ABC News is reporting Osama bin Laden has been killed. Uh, for more uh, for more information, tune over to your ABC News station. So I said that. We go to break, and I'm like in a sweat. I mean, I just I don't want to mess it up, right? And I played it ultra cautiously because uh, I don't have a news background. I have a sports background, and this is obviously a, an enormous story, and I just wanted to play it safe. So um, – we came back on the air, and every 10 minutes or so, I would say, for those of you who hadn't heard, I would give an update. The president's going to talk at 1130, whatever the case may be. And then the USA, USA chant broke out in the ballpark because, of course, everybody's got <laughs> iPhones or Blackberries. And, you know, you think of how the world has changed, right? 20 years ago, nobody in the ballpark would know. Now, everybody in the ballpark knew except for the players because they're the ones on the right. field. They're the only ones who don't have their phones with them. So um, they found out pretty quickly from security guards or, or ushers or cameramen or whatever the case may be. But... Uh, when the USA chant broke out, it was, you know, one of those uh, kind of bone-chilling moments. The hair on the back of your neck stood up. And then I got a text from Mike Tirico, uh, which said to me, keep in mind, you are probably at the largest gathering of Americans anywhere in the world right now. And that hadn't occurred to me. You know, again, the game's going on, right? So I'm trying to call the baseball game as we're juggling this. So. So I, that was a wonderful text from, from Mike Tirico because it really gave me some context, you know, about this is not only were we reporting the story, but in some small sense where we were kind of became part of the story because there were 40,000 yeah. people chanting USA, USA. And, and, you know, I saw it on Good Morning America the next day and, and realized even more the next day uh, that because we were live and we were able to tell the story in the middle of our telecast, you know, all the networks were on tape programming, right? So everybody was with – a lot of people got it from us. Then, of course, they yeah. went over to their news station. So but it was um, it was an unforgettable experience, I will tell you that. That's that's awesome, Dan. And a, and a return text to Tariko, thanks for the extra <laughs> pressure, right? Yeah. 
You know what? I, I, I don't know if I've still got it stored on my phone. I'd love to see if I even answered or or what I answered. You know, all I know is the next that night and the next morning, I've never gotten more texts and emails and whatever that you know uh, as I did that night. And and I just didn't realize how many people were watching and how many people got it and and um, how many people got it on our, our telecast. And it was just you can prepare for a lot of things. And when you're you know I've been doing this for 15, 20 years. Live television, no script. You you like to think you're prepared for just about anything, but that one was uh, that one was out of the blue. That one was uh, something I'm just not I'm just not trained for. So I, I just tried to play it safe, turn it over to the news experts, and and then for the rest of the night, kind of juggle the game and that without you know trying to find a, a proper mix if there is such a thing uh, of the, of the two stories going on at the same time and you know we had the Mets there too so we had New York people there we had Bobby Valentine there who of course was a central figure after 9/11 so and he was very emotional about it he was kind of choked up and and didn't mm-hmm. you know didn't really start talking about it right away it took him a while to kind of compose himself so there, there was a lot going on well Dan as a as, a, as a veteran I I can tell you and as a sports guy I'm glad that it was a a sports guy that was able to do it. That's, that's amazing. Thank you. Uh, one more quick question and, and, and then we'll let you go, Dan. We appreciate your time. Um, you mentioned earlier that, that Bobby's a lot of fun to work with and, and gets excited going a mile a minute. Uh, obviously you work with someone else that has a similar personality. <laughs> what the, how would you compare and contrast Bobby versus Dick? Um, I would say, I don't know if I've ever met, you know, now that I think about it, and I've never really compared them, I don't know if I've ever met any two people who have an energy level like Bobby and Dick do. And I don't just mean on the air. I mean, from the moment they wake up until the moment they, they, they go to sleep every <laughs> week. Every week, Bobby will say, you know, Bobby, how was your week? What'd you do? He's got like a whole full-time job. He's like the... Um, uh, like a commissioner for the for the police, the ambulance, and the fire in Stanford, Connecticut. Like he's got a full time job above and beyond what he does, and he's got a restaurant, and he's got a hitting academy, and he's involved in so many charitable endeavors. And Dick's the same way. You know, Dick from the morning he wakes up until the moment he goes to sleep is just on all the time. You know that old army line: some people do more before nine in the morning than other people do all day. That's how I feel about Bobby and Dick. I never feel like I've accomplished less in life than when I'm around Bobby and Dick. And both of them are in their – well, Dick's in his 70s. Bobby's in his 60s. I'm in my 40s. And by the end of the day with them, I, I'm just worn out, and they're still going strong. So it's uh, – I really admire both of them. I mean, they both have a ton of passion for a lot of different things, and they both do a ton of things behind the scenes that people don't know about uh, to help other people. And uh, I, I, I've learned a lot from being around both of them. Excellent. Well, thank you again so much for your time. Uh, we'll let you go. And I know that uh, you're probably at least half as busy as Bobby and Dick are. So uh, <laughs> that's more than us. So uh, thanks again. And uh, we really appreciate it. All right. You got it, guys. Talk to you again. Yeah, have fun in uh, St. Louis on Sunday. All right. Thank you. Take care.
I feel like in this deal, you're getting Colby Rasmus as he is now, and the Blue Jays are also getting Colby Rasmus's potential. Uh, as if Colby Rasmus's potential is a separate player, a player to be named later that maybe it pans out, maybe it doesn't. And and I think that's where the real value to this deal and, and the real win or lose for either of these teams is going to come from. But it, it's one of those things, right, where it's that's the gamble that you're taking if you're John Mosellock. Do you and and keeping in mind throughout all of this that another factor is the whole Colby Tony Larusa Tony Rasmus feud that was clearly at its boiling point. So the gamble that you take is number one, we're never going to be able to patch this rift. We're never going to be able to mend these issues. Number two, what if he never pans out? If the Cardinals hang on to him for eternity simply because they don't want to trade away a player with such great potential and he never achieves that potential, well, then you've kind of sold yourself short too, right? It's unfortunate that by now... Clearly, his market value had diminished. Um, they could have gotten a lot more for him this past off season or the the off season before. I, the The more this has gone on, the more he has been devalued. Um, but that's the great gamble, right? Either you hang on to him and he never achieves his potential, and then it's bad news because you hung on to him for too long and and he never made anything of himself, or you make this trade. And what if the Cardinals win the World Series and Edwin Jackson wins Game 7? Then was it worth it? And number three, the other thing that we have to look at, if you actually believe possible reports that the Cardinals may have been talking to Colby about a deal, I don't know, I'm not even going to hesitate to think what the monetary value of it was, but possibly a deal like Garcia to lock him up for part of that sure or or is it given that it's become so much of a just a you know a a burden not so much in the clubhouse i know a lot of the players were outspoken saying it's not that type of a situation but if you have enough of the players that are saying hey why is colby's dad hanging around the clubhouse taking them after games to throw BP. It just, there's, there's such an element to this that we may never know. And the big thing to me, when you hit on potential, the NL central race, isn't going to be won or lost in my opinion with Colby Rasmus, a general manager's job may be saved. However, in that division in the AL East by making a deal like this, and hoping, because <laughs> that's really what you're doing. You're hoping that Colby Rasmus ends up being the type of player that a lot of people think he will be, but that's what you don't know. Do you do you go all in like we've been talking about and make your team better now and worry about some of the draft picks you can get and other stuff later and possibly, maybe even slightly, help out the clubhouse demeanor overall by 
taking out a distraction, kind of like with possibly with Brandon Ryan and some of those other things where if it's not there, you don't have to talk about it. You don't have to deal with it. Sure. Sure. And, you know, again, there are so many variables in this equation that it's a, (laughs) it's, it's really, I mean, like you say, it could be years before we, before we're able to ascertain the true outcome of this trade. Um, there's always the argument that flags fly forever. And certainly I, I think, and, and many others think that the Cardinals have improved themselves for this year. What that means going forward, uh, who knows? Who knows? I wish Colby well. I wish uh, all the uh, guys that left the Cardinals well, and I wish those coming in from Toronto uh, better. Yeah. I, 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 I don't have any ill will towards the situation as a whole. It was just kind of something you looked at and, Quite frankly, Nick, and I don't know how your feeling was about it, but it's kind of like you said with the deal. I'm I'm over it. I'm I, I was tired. I, had, I was tired I had of talking my day about to be it. upset. Yep, I had my day to be upset and and think that it sucks that Rasmus got traded. And like I said, we're all upset about his potential. Yep. And, and well, and a little upset that it's very clear who's running the show in St. Louis. But we've um, but we've and, known and that for how long? Mean, absolutely, and I don't mean that to belittle John Mosellock in any no, way. No. But at the same time, I'd be curious to know whether whether there's ever any repercussions for the way that Larusa, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, runs his mouth sometimes, because they have all of this training, and and Rasmus went through it, I'm sure for the athletes to train them on how to speak to the media. And LaRusa goes out and makes a seemingly flippant comment. And I know that he had said it before, so he wasn't breaking any news to anybody, but makes a seemingly flippant offhand comment about, well, you know, Colby's not listening to us. LaRusa's no fool. He knew what he was doing. So that's why I'm sure that the Cardinals were talking to Rasmus about an extension, and then Tony started running his mouth, and that was all put to an end. And so I wonder if there's ever any repercussions for him when upper management is working on one thing, he starts running his mouth and torpedoes it all. Does anybody... I mean, I can't imagine that they do just because he would seemingly stop then, or or he just doesn't seem the type who would be approached and and reprimanded but i mean surely they've got to sit this guy down and be like hey what the hell well we'll know soon enough this uh this deal and the upcoming off season of albert palooza albert palooza we'll and we'll speak the terms of where tony fits within the organization it will and that's what makes me more nervous about the trade is that Say what you will about, you know, giving up on Colby's potential, blah, 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 whatever the case may be, whatever excuses or, or reasons you give for making this trade. Well, we, we needed pitching and this was the only tradable commodity, yada, yada, yada. Say what you will. The reality is Colby had to go 
and or was forced out by Larusa. That's that's there, there there's that and as as much as I might I might get some uh, negative press later for saying this. I don't think that trading for even a pitcher that you may have been able to lock up for another two or three seasons was the right move. There's too much that you don't know contract-wise, team-wise, player-wise that I, I wanted them to make a move for this year, but I don't think, at least in my opinion, I wanted them to go after somebody that had a couple of years left on their deal. Mm-hmm. At least as a starting pitcher, because well, now wait a minute, because Zepchinski is a guy who has been talked about somebody who could develop into a starter. But he's kind cheap, of on the on the Wainwright plan. His, he's under control for several years. Well, there's that, and he's also very very team friendly contract wise because he's so young. Indeed, right. You know. Well, yeah. the The big question looming is: so you allow you allow Larusa to essentially make this trade right I, I mean he was he was the impetus for this trade we're in agreement there completely what if he leaves after this year he's what if he decides to ride off into the sunset what if Pujols signs elsewhere i i guess i look at it this way then when he goes well Pujols was the only thing keeping me here i'm 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 retiring i'm out i i look at it this way i would rather Colby get to where he's supposed to be as a player elsewhere and then leave and sign his big contract somewhere, then I would rather maybe not so much put up with the antics isn't the right word, but hoping that certain things changed and maybe not so much tell his dad what his position should be. Mm-hmm. You know, but... I guess for me, I am happy to turn the page on this, knowing full well that it could come back in a bad way, just like you said. Just because yep. Tony may be here another two years, you know, you're, you're giving up on Colby. I, I guess I, I see I see it this way, too. If they waited another two months, or heck, maybe if they waited another year, what happens if Colby doesn't get it turned around and he keeps losing confidence in, in himself and he's not playing. I'm not saying this was as good a deal as you could get. As we both pointed out, the opportunity was there last throughout the entire off season to trade Colby for probably much, much more. But the important thing to note was the Cardinals weren't looking for starting pitching up until what? couple weeks ago a month that wasn't an important part of the team everybody was talking about bullpen stuff or uh possibly a a middle infielder or something it wasn't until mcclellan you didn't know what was going to happen it it, it, everything just seemed to fall into place where the deal that was done wasn't I don't think anybody, especially Cardinals fans, is going to say that was the best deal we could have received. What they did is they took care of something that was going to get to a point where you're going to start asking Colby questions. And he wasn't talking to the media from all intents and purposes from what I read. 
So if you're going to make the move, why not do it when they did it as opposed to waiting closer to the deadline in hopes of something else, I guess. It's sure. A, I was, mean, who knows? They could have kept talking, but it, it may also be – it. This is certainly, I think, as it always is with the Cardinals, one of those stories where we'll never really know exactly what happened or what went down, right? That uh, it could be that uh, they, the Cardinals had determined that the relationship had soured or, or you know, things were so bad in the clubhouse or, or Tony and Colby couldn't be on the same bench or, or Rasmus wouldn't even play anymore, whatever the case may be, um, anymore going forward that it just, they weren't going to be able to coexist anymore. And if that's the case, then, you know, why continue to drag it out? Um, but I, I think your point about the middle infield is valid and, and I mean, What's still out there? I, I know uh, you asked me about for a call a little bit ago uh, before we before we started recording. Um, I mean, what do the Cardinals have left in in the uh, in the old tank that they could still ship out? I guess. Well, here's here's the good thing. If there's a, if if you want to look, you know, if Cardinals fans are on the ledge and trying to look for any kind of silver lining, the Cardinals have said all along that they were willing to take on payroll. I don't know because of the whole cash considerations and player to being named later with the Colby deal. If they were able to, to talk to a team like the Dodgers that depending on their financial situation, (laughs) it may not be as pricey as previously thought. And then I guess the one good thing and, and, and maybe just possibly the one player that might fly under the radar with the Rasmus deal is Dotel. Octavia Dotel may, in in some small way, because of his abilities to get the strikeout in the latter part of a game, not so much looking at him being a closer anymore, but that could free up what I guess is considered still quite a strength to the Cardinals, and that's right-handed relievers depending on what the team is looking for. And, you know, the Cardinals and the Dodgers have a bit of a trade history, at least going back to the Terrio and Hawksworth deal. So is that a cheap alternative to what could possibly be, you know, a a messier situation maybe? Or would you rather just see the Cardinals play Descalso more? Well, you know, since I've already kind of had to eat my crow on Descalso <laughs> at shortstop uh, you, with, you with Dennis. <laughs> um, you know, the guys played well there. I, I certainly wouldn't be against it at this stage. Um, you know, that's not to say that that uh, the the carriage won't turn back into a pumpkin at some stage, but so far so good, right? I mean, he's... He's just a gamer. Um, oh... Look at you with the lingo. He's a gamer. Uh, well, he's I, a gamer. For for playing out of position, as much everywhere as it, is out of position for him. It well, would seem, and that's uh, he just. I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I'm I'm happily surprised that, to be wrong. Indeed, indeed, and I, I mean, well, 
Small let's sample, be, let's small be sample size alert, though. Let, yeah, and let's be fair. Um, he, uh, how shall I say this? <laughs> I know where you're going with this. Um, the, 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 the competition isn't exactly the pair with comparison. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the competition he's facing and, and, uh, and the standards set there aren't exactly unreachable. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks to the always good Ken Rosenthal and, and one of the few, um, pieces I read about the deal, one of the little nuggets he threw in there was the fact that uh, our starting shortstop, if you want to call him that, well, to be fair, he has a 424 OPS in his past 105 plate appearances. Thank you, Mr. Rosenthal, for uh, making me feel even worse. Yeah, so much for improving the yeah, offense. Yeah, you, you don't hear a whole lot out of uh, anybody <laughs> with with that said here uh I, I guess if there's again if you want to try to be the half full instead of the half empty you got to look at what skip schumacher has done offensively since i i guess deciding he wants to be a ball player again maybe i don't know he's healthy uh he's been good he's been hitting the ball around that's so, for certain um you know punto somehow is not on the dl i don't know what he's keeping his arm together with uh, maybe he can, yeah, maybe he needs knows. to share that with uh, Lance Berkman, but maybe that's for a different uh, different story at a different day. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, so let's talk talk about then. Which direction would you like to go? I know we were talking about Jackson. Playing for the White Sox hasn't had a, an awful and. Uh, I know that sounds like a glowing endorsement, right? He hasn't been awful, so. But uh, I know Dave Duncan has wanted to work with him for a long time. Um, I, I'm kind of excited to see what they can get out of this guy. I I like what I heard from his former catcher in Detroit, Gerald Laird, and I was a little hesitant about him being the centerpiece. If only because when you look at a guy that's as young as he is, has been traded that many times, I, I it almost has to have a red flag for for a makeup issue or just something. But honestly, the, the Cardinals got exactly what they needed in a guy that is going to get you innings, and that was the big question mark with Kyle McClellan was as good as he looked early in the year, what was going to happen when he started to maybe hit whatever innings barrier you think he may have got to the point where he just started to fall off a little bit. Obviously, he wasn't pitching as as well here lately. He had a good outing the other night, but to me, the Cardinals had to make a move for a starter if they were going to compete the rest of the year due to the unknowns of Kyle Loesch and to a smaller extent, I guess a little bit Westbrook. Right. And, and let's give credit to Kyle McClellan for a couple of things. Number one, he certainly, he certainly acquitted himself as a starter. Um, you know, I think he did well enough in the role to at least meet expectations. 
Um, I don't think anyone expected him to go out and win a Cy Young. Um, number two, he's taken – I mean, obviously he's not going to come out and say, yeah, this is the best thing that's ever happened. I really like it. I'm, I'm really excited about going back to the bullpen. I'm sure, he's, I'm sure he doesn't like it all that much. I'm sure he'd rather start, but he's being a class guy. He's being a great teammate. He says, yeah, I'm going to go back to the bullpen, and, and, and this, you know, Jackson's a better guy in the rotation than I am, and this gives us a better chance to win, and I'm excited about that. So kudos Kyle McClellan, I think, uh, particularly as we seemingly are always discussing <laughs> clubhouse issues issues and character issues and who's fighting with who and who can't get along with Tony. Clearly, uh, uh, McClellan is, is on Tony's good side. So I, he's got that going for him, I guess. He's a team guy. First and foremost, he, he to me, he reminds me a lot of, uh, the situation that Wainwright was in a couple of years ago where he basically said, I just want to be on the team. I don't really care what my role is. I think McClellan has proven that if they need him in a certain role, he can fill it. But I think he's also proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is, I I won't say much more important, but the fact that the the bullpen has had, to be blunt, uh, nobody from the left side or from that matter on the right side that can get lefties out, the fact that McClellan has proven that he can be that type of a, a shutdown guy. I mean, as much as Lance Lynn has impressed me, uh, there's a lot of season left to be played. No doubt about that. No doubt about that. And, and frankly, I don't know. Are they done? Are they done making trades? What do you think? I don't think they're done. I don't, I don't know unless something, I won't say drastic. I think we, we already had our, our drastic trade for the year. Um, I, it would not surprise me if a, a deal was done in August, more so than here in the next couple of days before the deadline, just because of the amount of teams that are seemingly in play this year that are buyers instead of sellers it it it's going to get more expensive so unless it is a deal for somebody that might come on on the cheap and doesn't cost a a big name prospect or two but <laughs> obviously the blue jays weren't in the in the discussions for the deal that was just done so i would not be surprised to see something else happen that is unexpected well, sure. There's always that uh, that. What about you? Eye popping. There's always that eye popping. Never saw it coming. Trade around the corner, right? I, 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 th- I think I'd be on board with. I mean, obviously, you're taking a gamble on his health and and him being worth anything down the stretch. I, I wouldn't mind seeing a gamble on a fur cow. Um, particularly, it's not going to cost him much for the two months he'll be with the team. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, it sounds like they're fading out of the Heath Bell discussion as uh, as other teams continue to up the ante. Um, frankly, I'm not. I was never really convinced they needed a Heath Bell. I think if anything, maybe we'll see a uh, a middle infield upgrade. Uh, failing that, 
I think yesterday was was the big bomb, and and they're probably this is probably the team they're going to be fighting with uh, through the end of September and into October. Well, there's also the the if you make a deal for a middle infielder, does that do you honestly just come out and admit that you made a mistake with Terrio? Well, I don't think that can factor into into your decision making. If Mosellock's making his decisions on whether he picks up a middle infielder or not based on how he'll be perceived um regarding the the Terrio deal, then he's not cut out for the well, job. Well, I don't I I, I don't mean necessarily that. What do you do with the guy? I mean, I don't think I don't uh, think he's well. They sure they certainly don't have an aversion to just cutting bait. Well, uh, yeah, obviously uh, that uh, that could be an option. I guess if you needed a shortstop, you could trade away a shortstop. But I think he's a viable option at second base too. Cut Corey Patterson <laughs> and let and let uh, Schumacher be your fourth outfielder, platoon Descalso and Terrio at second base. And let and let whomever be your everyday shortstop. I I know Terrio doesn't want to move to second base. I frankly I just don't care. Yeah, that's uh, you know um, as we've discussed a number of times, it's it's not necessarily what the player wants. Much like the discussions that we've had with where former Cardinal now Colby Rasmus wanted to bat in the lineup. So, and if there's any, if, I, I guess because he's a switch hitter, I'll give for call this, uh, this much more of a percentage of a chance to end up landing with the Cardinals is he's getting hot at the right time. I don't know if that's going to make him, I doubt it's going to make him pricier. If anything else, it might make him. Hey, I've learned never. Agreed. I, and I've also, I I also won't count out anybody else right now in the in the NL Central when it comes to making deals. So you got it. Speaking of the Central, uh, obviously we've got the uh, Cubbies coming to town this weekend, as we talked with uh, Dan Schulman about a little bit before. Um, they made a trade today. Uh, getting rid of uh, Kosuke Fukudome. They could well make a couple more trades before the weekend's out. We could be seeing the shell of a Cubs team on Sunday, uh, or more of a shell than it already is. Um, Very true. There's more. I think, it'd be, I think it's a really, really great time for the Cardinals to put up a sweep. There's, there's more news coming down the pipe of uh, a couple other big-name Cubs that uh, could possibly be on the move. So I, I would not be shocked if the Cubs look like a different team when they come in, and I won't say if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, it's the Cubs, so I guess what I will be curious to see is if any of those said-name Cubs end up... I doubt any of them would stay in the Central, but you never know. The Cubs and Cardinals are not going to make a trade between each other. I do not want that to happen. I was more concerned with any, if if you can consider any Cubs to have a decent chance of contributing down the stretch, going to either Pittsburgh and or Milwaukee. Ah, I see. 
perhaps a, a return of Aramis Ramirez to uh, the Steel City. I I I would. Uh... But they don't need him. They've got. I, I think if it were if it were me, I think I'd rather Pedro Alvarez. Possibly, but you also got to look at from where Pittsburgh's coming from. When when was they need a big? When bat. was the last time they had a winning year? Sure, <laughs> so, sure. uh, I would not be surprised to see a couple of general managers that do not have the luxury of being able to make a move like the Toronto Blue Jays general manager made because they're not necessarily in the running for this year. That was more of a, you know down the road type move if you're if you're the pittsburgh gm and the reports that came out that beltran said no because he would rather go play with the giants it it'll be curious to see if any of those teams are willing to overpay whether it's the brewers because of all the moves they made in the offseason and they're going through some injury bugs right now whereas it seems the cardinals are getting healthier it it remains to be seen how crazy the the nl central might look here next week yeah, yeah, absolutely, I agree. Could be really crazy. Could be really crazy. Well, with that, Josh, uh, we've got a power-packed show to, for the to listeners. To say the least. Uh, here in episode 6.0. Um, we, we've already talked to Dan Schulman in advance of the Cards-Cubs series and ESPN Sunday Night Baseball invading St. Louis once again on Sunday night. Um why don't we switch gears now? And uh, we talked with Pat Lackey from the Pirates blog YGavs. That's uh, in long form. That's where have you gone, Andy Van Slyke? Speaking of yeah. former enigmatic Cardinals center fielders that were traded away and blossomed. Kind of fitting. Um, kind of fitting, I will admit. Indeed. We talked to Pat actually before uh, the Pirate series last weekend, so uh, we're a little behind on our editing, and, and for that we apologize. But Pat had some great stuff to tell us about the Pirates. Um, we'll take a short break, and we'll come back with Pat Lackey from YGavs.com. Joined by Pat Lackey from YGavs.com, a great Pittsburgh Pirates blog. Pat's going to talk to us a little bit about the weekend series between the St. Louis Cardinals and the first place Pittsburgh Pirates. Thanks for joining us, Pat. Hey, happy to be here. I like the sound of that, the first place Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that a whole lot the last few years. <laughs> I, I threw that in there just for you. I'm just, I'm just trying to prime you for a great spot here. <laughs> Uh, I, I guess first and foremost, um, you know, I, I've been able to keep up with them a little bit and, and pay attention to the Pirates. Um, but a question that might be on many of our listeners' minds, Pat, who the hell are these guys? <laughs> they're, uh, they're not hugely different from the Pirate team that lost 105 games last year, actually. Um, you know, Andrew McCutcheon is obviously having a much better year. He's uh, sort of blossomed into a, a star 
in 2011, and he's he's been almost all of the offense for the better part of the season. Uh, the, the big difference this year has been the pitching staff. I'm sure you Cardinals fans remember lighting up Charlie Morton at some point in 2010, and you know a lot's been written about his his new delivery and his reliance on the sinker and whether or not you know his good early season stats would be he would be able to sustain them. But whether or not you know he he comes out with an ERA of three or three or below, he's a much better pitcher than he was last year. Uh, Kevin Correa is having a good year. He was a free agent signing. Uh, Jeff Carstens has been in the bullpen for a couple of years, and he's sort of come out of nowhere to have a have a really great year. And then James McDonald was added to the trade deadline last year. So the pitching staff is almost entirely overhauled from 2010. And they've been much better, and and really that's that's been the biggest difference for the Pirates so far this year. Hey Pat, um, your recent post about how things are—it's basically the tale of the two halves of the first half, if you will, for the Pirates. What, if anything, have you been able to put your finger on? Is the difference between the early season struggles for this year's club, and then towards the end of May they just kind of caught fire? Is it? mainly just the pitching or is there something that, you know, the new coaching staff or is there something you've been able to figure out? I think that the biggest difference um, since the middle of May is that the offense has been quite a bit better. You know, they're, they're in the bottom half of the national league in runs scored over the course of the season. But since uh, May, May 17th or 18th, uh, when I read about their eighth of the league, you know, that's when the cushion really started to take off. Uh, that's when, you know, some role players like Matt Diaz, Garrett Jones, Lyle Overbay, you know, none of them are having great years. So they all they all got off the slow starts. They've all been hitting a little better you know, since the middle of May. Um, you know, the Pirates have also had a lot of injuries. And they've, they've had some call-ups that have, have placed decent, decent at best, I guess. But, uh, you know, s- since mid-May, I, I think that's really the biggest difference. The pitching has been much better all year. Uh, that, that's definitely a big testament to Ray Searich, who took over as pitching coach around this time last year. But uh, I think the difference, you know, the reason the Pirates have been so good in their last 55 games is their offense has improved to go with that pitching staff. Uh, Pat, you've already talked a little bit about the pitching staff being one of the larger factors in the Pirates' success to date this season um, and, and named a couple of names like you said, McCutcheon maturing and, and becoming really kind of an all-world, some would say MVP candidate. Um, what, what one player for the Pirates has been the biggest surprise to you so far in 2011? It, uh, in terms of a positive surprise, I, I would have to say it was Morton. He was, he was just terrible last year. Um, he he would go into games and he would start the game off and strike out you know two or three hitters in the first couple innings, and then in the blink of an eye there would be runners on base and he'd give up a three-run home run, and it would be six to nothing in the second inning when ten minutes before he thought the guy was pitching well, and all of a sudden now he's out of the game and you know the swing man's in and and you end up losing you see the Pirates end up losing thirteen to nothing before you could even really process what happened and this year he he hasn't been great but. He, even when he puts guys on base, he's done a much better job of bearing down, you know, getting out of innings, not giving up eight or nine runs in the start. Uh, and just to see a guy kind of come back almost from the dead like that has, has been 
uh, it's been a big difference for the Pirates in just having a pitching staff that they know every day, you know, for all five spots in the rotation, they could put somebody out there that's going to give them a chance to win. Well, Pat, speaking of your rotation, I'm, I'm kind of surprised uh, Mr. Hanrahan, your closer, isn't getting more of, I guess because he's been around a while and he's kind of been through a few organizations and his roles have kind of shuffled back and forth. Um, are you surprised that he's been able to have the success that he's had this year? Um, you know, not not that much. He he was incredible last year, uh, kind of as a setup man. He, he and Evan Meeks split the setup role last year while Octavio Dotel was on the Pirates, and he had an incredible strikeout rate. Uh, he was striking out something like 12 or 13 guys per nine innings, and you know, his walk rate was pretty high, but he was improving on when he had kind of flamed out with the Nationals. He couldn't throw a strike to save his life when he came to the Pirates in 2009. And, you know, they, they stressed in the offseason uh, what Sirius and pitching coaches said is that they worked on his control even more. And now, you know, his strikeouts are down a bit, but his walk rate is down below two walks per nine innings. And he's just throwing a ton of strikes. And so it, it kind of seems like the natural evolution, um, the natural evolution of his career to me is, you know, you could watch him pitch out of the setup role last year and say, so this guy, this guy could make a heck of a closer. And so, you know, I, I don't know if I would have expected him to be one of the best closers in the National League the way he's been this year, but it, he certainly isn't someone that I thought has come out of the blue this year. Well, let's talk, uh, speaking of out of the blue, some would say that that's kind of been the Pirates' season in a nutshell. And now all of a sudden... Neil Huntington finds himself in a position where are the Pirates going to be buyers or sellers? And and if buyers, uh, what is their target? Where do they need to improve? And um, is it worth it for them to sell to start selling to win now? Well, the biggest place that they need to improve is they they definitely need a little more pop in the lineup. You know, McCutcheon has kind of been on an island. Neil Walker's bat has heated up a little bit in the last few weeks. But, you know, they've been, they've been trotting out lineups some nights that have McCutcheon and Walker and six minor leaguers out there. Whereas for six minor leaguers slash guys that probably shouldn't still be in baseball. And uh, they, they really could use another bat. You know, they, they've sort of been, they've been linked to guys like Hunter Pence and Carlos Beltran. I, I don't think that they're going to, they're not going to sell the farm. You know, you're not going to see them trade any of uh, their big pitching prospects, Jamison Tyon or Stetson Alley. Uh, you're probably not going to see them even trade guys like Starling Marte, Tony Sanchez, or a couple good position player prospects in Double A. You know, there may be they have some kind of fringe arms guys that will probably be somewhere between three, you know, like a three and five spot in the rotation in Triple A and Double A right now. I think they'd be willing to give those guys up. You know, not, not that it's a huge return, but if you're willing to take on some salary or you're, you know, you've got a team that has a piece that they're willing to trade, you're not giving up a whole lot of the future if you trade one of those guys. And if I had to guess, I would say that if the Pirates do trade for a bat, uh, it'll either be by taking on payroll for, for, with a guy like Carlos Pena. You know, they could use his left-handed bat at first base instead of Overbay, who's been pretty bad this year. 
or you know, it seems they've looked a lot to a team like Oakland. You know, they've looked at uh, Willingham and David DeJesus. And uh, I, I think that the thinking there is that maybe that the guys that play in Oakland are a little undervalued. Their stats are down because of the ballpark. And that they may be able to get somebody that can help, you know, a, a platoon guy, a situational player that will boost the offense that other teams aren't necessarily looking at. So I, I don't think that there's going to be a splashy acquisition by the Pirates. And the other thing that they've said they're looking at is relief pitching, which some people thought that was a head-scratcher because their bullpen uh, with Hanrahan and Jose Barris and Chris Resock has been great this year. But the starting the starting uh, rotation, almost all of the guys except for tonight's starter, Paul Mahalem, are all coming up on their career highs for innings, and you know we're not even to August yet. And they, they could just be looking to lengthen the bullpen in order to, to uh, give the starters some more backup as you know their outings are probably going to get a little shorter as they start hitting their career highs for inning counts. So I, I don't think that there's going to be a big splashy move. I don't expect to see the Pirates uh, trade any any of their big prospects in the next in the next couple of weeks. But Huntington is definitely looking for ways to try to make this team better. Well, Pat, it's, it seems like both the Cardinals and the Pirates are targeting the the Padres to some extent I keep hearing Ludwig's name uh, former Cardinal uh, thrown around a little bit do you do you would you rather see if they do decide to either take on salary or if the Pirates decide that like you said maybe trade some of those fringe prospects would you rather see them go pitching to maybe ensure that like you said some of those guys don't throw their arms out or would you rather see them at a bat uh, I, I or, think that, that is probably <laughs> well. Yeah, both would be nice. I, I don't think that they'll do both. Um, they they have a couple guys in Brad Lincoln and AAA and Ross Ollendorf just started a rehab assignment that they can use as six starters. You know, if they want to have a another guy on the team that can start spelling some of these guys to keep their inning counts down. Lincoln has pitched really well of late in AAA. He made a nice spot start. Uh, the weekend of the fourth for the Pirates, so I, I don't think that they're that worried about you know bringing in another guy to give innings of the rotation because I think that that's something that they they probably feel they can do internally. So I, I would say that you know the the best way to improve the team right now is, is to try to find some kind of bat, and you know the best answer to that may be internal as well. Uh, Pedro Alvarez got off to a terrible start this year and injured his quad and went on a rehab assignment, and the rehab assignment ended uh, about two weeks ago, and they left him in AAA. And he's just started to come around in AAA. Uh, he's been killing the ball for the last week. You know, he, he may be better than anybody that they could add in a trade to put back into the lineup. But if they could get another bat and put Alvarez back in, then you know some of the concerns about the pitching staff will go away if they start scoring some more runs. Once again, uh, we're talking with Pat Lackey from YGAVS, or by its longer moniker, Where Have You Gone, Andy Van Slyke, uh, chatting about the Pittsburgh Pirates before this weekend series. So, Pat, I'm looking at the probable starters. It looks like the Cardinals have got Carpenter tonight, Garcia tomorrow, and maybe Kyle Loge on Sunday, depending on uh, how his finger responds. Pirates have got Mahalan tonight. Korea tomorrow and Electric Charlie on Sunday afternoon. Uh, let us put you on the spot. What do you? How do you expect the series to turn out? 
Um, you know, one thing I, I just saw on Twitter this afternoon that the Pirates have already sold all three games out. That's awesome. And they've played. It, it is. I I am pumped about it. But, you know, just to see people out of the ballpark. I was there over the fourth. You know, there are Pirates t-shirts everywhere and people waving Jolly Roger flags. And it's it's so cool after so many years of seeing an empty ballpark in Pittsburgh. But uh, the team has played really, really well. The team has responded really well to I, – I don't know exactly what the record is, but they have a great record in, in, week, in games where they've drawn more than thirty or 35,000 fans. And so, you know, the, the, the pitching maybe doesn't match up all that well for them. Uh, you know, with Carpenter going against Mahal, Correa has pitched terribly at PNC Park this year. So having him go up against Garcia – uh, you know, on Saturdays, kind of looks kind of iffy to me as a Pirate fan, but I'm I'm still hoping they they haven't lost the series since the first weekend of the the, the big block of an elite play in June. So I'm still looking for them to take two out of three. I know you guys don't want to hear that. I don't exactly know how it's going to happen, <laughs> how the Pirates are going to get two out of three, but I don't know how they've gotten to first place at this point either. So. Not being able to see how they're going to get there doesn't bother me at this point. Smoke and mirrors, smoke and mirrors. <laughs> well, and if nothing wrong with that. If if the evidence to date thus far, the one series that the teams have met is any indication, uh, the Pirates taking two out of three isn't a bad bet, I guess. Um, that's true. Pat, we appreciate you joining us. Before we let you go, uh, we like to. Uh, let our guests turn the table on us every so often. Um, so open slate, anything you wanted to ask us or, or anything in particular that you wanted to talk about? Uh, which of the three other teams at the top of the National League Central has you the most worried as a Cardinal, as Cardinals fan? Ooh, I'm just curious to see the, the take on the division, you know, from, from outside of a Pirates perspective which is oh this is great it's it's awesome to be in first place whether <laughs> these three teams are better than us it doesn't really matter at this point I, I i'm just curious how a cardinal fan is breaking down the division right now josh do you want to take that i know my answer uh well <laughs> if you know your answer i'll let you go first milwaukee terrifies me um yeah because i think their offense is I've read a lot of people that laud the Cardinals' offense and, and call it maybe and, and talk about how great it is and they're. Le- I looked this morning and the Cardinals are leading the league in runs scored and I guess I yeah, maybe it's just that pessimistic fan outlook. I, I don't see how. Just having watched the games and it just it's one of those things where. You watch, and it feels like they, they struggle to score runs. And Milwaukee's offense, on the, on the other hand, I feel like could be if it isn't the best in the division. Their, their offense is just ridiculous throughout. And if their pitching could ever get on track, I mean, that's a scary ball club. So Milwaukee scares me the most. Hey, Cincinnati, I, this is going to sound like sour grapes, but I, I think I'm not sure that uh Cincinnati has the guns to to challenge that's just a I mean that's just my outlook it has nothing to do with all the garbage that's gone on between Cardinals and the Reds um 
And but the the thing about the pirates, like you said, Pat, somehow they're getting it done, and it doesn't matter how. All that matters is they're putting numbers in the win column, and if they continue to do that, then who knows how things wind up. But for me, it's the Brewers. Well, for me, you kind of hit on it, but I, I don't. I, I feel the same way you do, Nick. That Cincinnati doesn't have the guns right now, but w- <laughs> me and you know probably better than most what Walt Jockety is capable of, good and bad. What and trading have... for Jason Isringhausen? <laughs> I have a feeling. I just have some strange feeling that, uh, based on their success last year, however fleeting it might be, that Cincinnati's going to turn something into a, a better I, deal. I saw, I saw Cincinnati linked to uh, James Shields today, who would certainly, I mean, they, they need pitching. You know, they, they can bump the ball almost as well as the Brewers right now, but... Um, yeah, if they could get if they could get a pitcher like Shields to help stabilize that rotation a bit, I think that that might move them back towards the top of the division. I I, I thought it was interesting uh, when you were saying being surprised that the Cardinals were leading the league in scoring because I just saw that after the break and I was surprised too. <laughs> and I think my take on it is that the reason it's surprising is because it's because Lance Berkman is playing like he's 25 years old again. Yep. And I just don't understand how that can keep happening. <laughs> and, you know, I, the, the, the Pirates and Cardinals, like you said, they, they've only played once this year so far, right? So I, I haven't seen a whole lot of it up close. But every time I see Lance Berkman hits another home run, I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> this guy's been on the decline, you know, for two or three years in Houston. And I, I thought he was done, you know, pretty much washed up. And all of a sudden... You know, it's like he's out there with Biggio and Bagwell again, mashing the Astros into the playoffs, only he's on the Cardinals. And, and I keep waiting for the wheels to come off there, and it hasn't happened yet. I, I think as long as, you know, as long as you've got him hitting a lot of pools, you know, you're going to keep scoring runs. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I uh, was chatting with a uh, – I, I was on a – show this morning as a as a guest talking a little bit about um basically my confidence in the cardinals going forward and and i for all intents and purposes said the same exact thing that cardinals haven't been playing all that well Pujols has been in a slump they've dealt with a lot of injuries and yet they're still hanging around it's hard to be that upset as a cardinals fan with where they sit right now they just need to start getting some things clicking and where would they be without Lance Berkman? I shudder to think. Yeah, that's I'm, I'm that's what both. worries me the most about the Pirates' chances from here on out, because I feel like everything has gone perfectly for the Pirates for the last two months. And that, you know, if, if on May 15th I could have sat down and written up a script for the next two months for the Pirates that was wildest dreams, best-case scenario, besides Pedro Alvarez, they've pretty much clicked. And they're still just tied for the, just tied for the division, you know, only a game up on the Cardinals, only, only, I think, four games up on the Reds. And none of the other three teams seem like they're playing as well as they can. And, you know, you look at that and you go, well, those last two months were perfect, and now the next two months are going to have to be perfect, too. And it, it just—it seems like a, a pretty daunting challenge for a team that. And part of that is, you know, me as a pirate fan having not seen a whole lot go right <laughs> in the last 20 years. 
to not expect things to keep going you've, well. You've got that but, Cubs uh, disease. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's something like that. Nick, I think you just got the title of our uh, for this next episode right there. We're calling it this early, huh? Well, you got the Cubs disease. It's always a good way to... <laughs> Well, very good. Uh, Pat, we uh, we appreciate your time. Thanks for giving us a little insight into the Pirates. Hopefully we'll see some exciting ball this weekend, uh, regardless of who wins. And uh, look forward to uh, catching up with you again later in the season. All right. Thanks for having me on. It was fun, guys. Thanks, Pat. Yep. No problem. Thanks, guys. Once again... Um, if you've stuck with us through both guests and Josh and I rambling, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for listening if you haven't stuck with us, but you won't hear this. Josh, uh, you know, again, some interesting stuff there uh, from Pat. Um, it, it, I, it's fascinating for me to get the perspective of the the long-suffering Pirates fan. Um, they're, I mean, they're packing that stadium. It's awesome to see. I think it's, I think it's an excellent sign. Um, and an excellent thing to see that that yes, there are still baseball fans in Pittsburgh. Yes, they will fill that beautiful park. Um, they just wanted to see some wins. Well, and the other thing about the Pirates is they have a lot of games left with the Cardinals. Indeed. And indeed, you know the the Cardinals haven't exactly been world beaters when it comes to the pirates over the last couple of years. So it, it, it does remain to be seen as we've mentioned here uh, a couple times, if Pittsburgh is able to make a, a move or two, or if they do decide that some of their prospects that they have, they might want to look to better their club for this year. Pittsburgh isn't going away lightly, especially after everything that's just happened with uh, a little bit of controversy in their own right. Uh, Right, right. No no doubt about that. Um, Well, I think uh, between our two guests and and our little interlude there, um, hopefully folks have enjoyed listening to all of it. what say, Josh? We'll put a button on 6.0 and uh, and get ready to root for the cards against the hated <laughs> rival Cubs that this weekend in St. Louis. The the hated Cubs, whichever form they may show up in, is is always fun. Um, I know talking to you before, uh, Cubs Cardinals in St. Louis is is always a good time. No doubt about that. Episode 6.0 of the Pitchers Hit 8th podcast. Uh, our guests have been Dan Schulman from ESPN's Sunday Night Baseball and Pat Lackey from YGavs.com. Um, as always, Josh, it's been a blast, and uh, we will uh, look forward to, you know, maybe maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll get something done next week. I, I think there'll be quite a bit to talk about. No doubt. I'm Nick. He's Josh. Thank you for listening. Catch up with us again on uh, episode 7.0 sometime soon. Right around the corner.
goodbye.